Welcome to another episode of Quilt Buzz, the podcast featuring your favorite folks from across the quiltiverse. I'm Amanda of Broadcloth Studio, and I'm joined by Wendy, the weekend quilter. Hey. And our special guest, Tangela of G's Bend Made. Hi. Now, before we jump into all our quilty fun today, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Tangela? Yes, I can. My name is Tangela Irby. I am an author. I am an educator. I love working with children and getting them to reach their full potential and helping them to grow. I'm a descendant of G's Bend. My grandparents were quilters, and those quilts have traveled all over the world. They're in museums um, across the country. They're in the Smithsonian. They're in the Whitney Museum. And I have made it my mission to share what my grandmothers weren't able to share because they left this world before people came to know their work. And so I want them to be counted as the artists that they were. And so could you tell us a little bit more about the um, story behind your Instagram handle, G's Bend Made? Well, as I said, I, my roots are from G's Bend. And so I just thought it made sense to call what we're doing G's Bend Made, made from G's Bend. And so that is the connection. So you mentioned earlier that you are the granddaughter of um, G's Ben's quilters, including um, Pearlie Kennedy Petway and Jency Lee Irby. Can you tell us, you know, a little bit more about this and your own quilting journey? Like, um, you know, did you learn how to quilt, when you learned to quilt, and where it's taking you to today? It's very interesting that, you know, when you grow up and you're familiar with what your family does, you think that every family does that. So growing up, I didn't think that quilting was anything special. I thought everyone did that, right? But as I grew older and as I started to see the value, and we always value what our grandparents do. You know, grandparents are just special. Something about the person who has that name, you know, that, that, yeah. that means something, right? And so it wasn't until I got older that I realized and hearing other people's stories that that wasn't true. Everyone's family does not quilt. And so unfortunately, you know, it was when I was older, I gained an appreciation for it and wanted to learn to quilt. But unfortunately, both of my grandparents had gone at that point. And so how I learned, I was working here in Connecticut in Windsor, and there was a woman who was, her art, her quilt, it's, it's artwork, just beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so when I found out that she quilted and I told her a little bit about my story, she knew the G's been story. <laughs> and so I would often say, you know, I want, I want to learn, I want to learn. And she finally said, you know what, that's it. I came in one day and she had some fabric. She put it on my desk. She said, the two of us in the conference room at the end of the day, I'm going to show you. And so I didn't learn to quilt the G's Ben way. I learned to quilt from someone who was kind enough to show me her perspective in terms of how she quilted. And so I learned to t make quilts and tie quilts. I remember showing my mother the first few quilts that I made and they were so small and I made a quilt. And she said, that's a quilt. <laughs> she's used to, you know, especially the older quilts that were made yeah. in G's Bend, they were huge. And so here I have is something that, you know, you throw over your lap, you know, when your knees are cold, right? And yeah. so what I was able to transition to is making the quilt tops. And then I would actually send them to my cousin. I have a cousin, Andrea Williams, who's in G's Bend now. And she still lives, she grew, grew up there, she's still there. And I would send her my quilts and then she would actually, I would send her the tops and she would put them together and quilt them for me. 
And so that started a little family tradition. And even with my aunt, Mary Letha Petway, who I mentioned in my book, I would send her things and she would quilt them and then send them back to me. It's like a, um, a long-distance quilting bee. <laughs> it, it, re- it, it really was. I mean, it literally yeah. is a long-distance quilting yes, bee. <laughs> yes, yes, And it all started because there was someone who took interest in the fact that I wanted to learn how to quilt. And mm-hmm. she took the time to share her talent with me. And so that was how I learned. And so part of, my, part of what I do is I want kids to learn about their history, to learn about their families now, while their elders are still here to teach them. Imagine how much further along I would have been if I had realized the gold that was in my family and the treasures in terms of what my grandparents could have given me. But I didn't realize that until I got older. And I have nieces, and I want them to know that now. I want them to come to me and ask me questions now so that I can share the little bit of knowledge that I have with them while I'm still here. So when you first started learning how to quilt, um, did you follow a quilt pattern or was it more like an improv sort of style? It was mainly patterns. So the Mm -hmm. first one I did was, I think it's called a rail fence, where you make the strips, Mm -hmm. which is a lot like what they did in G's Bend, right? And you cut them up, but then you have certain placements in terms of where you would put them on the uh, quilt top. And so that was the very first quilt that I made with um, Shirley was her name. And um, she knew that I love sunflowers. So the material was full of sunflowers. Oh, that's so, so sweet. Yes. And so, um, again, going back to connections of things that I did in the book. So one of the pages in the book, you'll find there's a table with quilts and there's a vase full of sunflowers. Oh, that is really sweet. <laughs> And that comes from, you know, I was an educator. So I taught second grade for six years. I was a building administrator, central office administrator. So I know the importance of literacy and reading and children finding meaning in books. So I tried to plant things in the book where whether you're an elementary student, middle school or high school, there are things that might pique your interest and that you will go and research and want to learn more. So you mentioned that, you know, you're really working towards um, encouraging children and the younger generation to engage with their elders as well as older generations and hear those family histories and the stories and maybe even learn skills like quilting. So you've also mentioned that you've written a book. Can you tell us a little bit about how those two kind of interweave and what inspired you to write the book? So again, going back to the history, and I talked about my aunt, Mary Letha Petway. She is such a huge storyteller. You know, she tells you, she teaches you things through stories. And she's often telling me things that, for example, her father told her when she was growing up. Like he would say to her, he would do something and she would try to do it just like him. And she would say, you know, daddy, I want to do it just like you. And he'd say to her, baby girl, you can't do it like me. You can't do my best. You can only do your best. So these are lifelong lessons that is in the book. Right. When I asked my aunt, how does she come up with all the different patterns? Because, you know, they don't use a literal, they don't use a pattern to come up with their patterns. Right. And I say (laughs) to her, you know, how do you come up with all these different designs? And she would say, you know, I talk to God and he gives me an idea every time. Well, that's in the book. So it's yes, it's about quilting, but it's bigger than that because every Mm -hmm. family doesn't have a quilting story, but every family has a story. I talked to a group of children who are middle schoolers who are in a summer program um, recently. And what I said to them is you can use my book as an outline to get you started. So in this story, a little girl is at a she's having a play date and someone asked her a question about a quilt. 
which led her to be able to explain a little bit about the history of quilting. So write your own story. What's a setting that you would be in that you would have to share with someone something that you know how to do step by step? And so, you know, again, being a second grade teacher, you know, we always wanted kids to write. You know, you need to write a story. You have, the, you have a prompt. You need to write something. And what did I hear all the time? I don't know what to write about. I don't know what to write about. <laughs> so what I say is write about something you know already. Write about something that you're interested in. And then go and ask some more questions. Get some more information about it. When you were when you were um, working on the book, did you go back and interview other family members of yours and gather their stories to include? You know what's interesting? I had so much content from my mother, <laughs> from my grandmothers, from my aunt. I really did not do that. You know, and it's yeah. interesting that you asked that question because where that shows up for me is as I finished writing the book. And as what happened was it opened the door. So other family members would come to me and add something and tell me something that I didn't know. And so what that led me to is there's a lot that I don't know. (laughs) There, I have a lot of family members who have stories that have never been told. And so I always wanted to do what you're doing in terms of being someone who can interview people who can now it would be a podcast right so that led me to actually starting a podcast and it's called legacy of our african-american lives and initially my thought was that i would talk to entrepreneurs and talk about their stories because you can be very successful you can have six figures you can you can have all this money in your bank account but if you're not sharing with the next generation the story behind getting that money if something happens to you they're all buying bmws (laughs) (laughs) They're going on vacations. You know, they're doing all the things that you didn't do because you were trying to build a legacy, but you didn't prepare them to continue that legacy. So what ended up happening was I took a step back and said, you know what? I want to find out more about my own family. So I started asking family members if they would like to come and talk to me. And what I do on the podcast is I ask them about their connections and then I kind of step back. And you don't hear my voice a lot because I just want to hear their stories. I want to hear what G's been meant to them. What was it like growing up? And it it goes through all different generations because I talk to people who are older than me. I talk to people who are my age. I talk to people who are younger than me. And I ask them, how does what you learned about or what you did in G's been influence who you are right now in terms of what do you want the next generation to know? And as you're speaking to these different people in the community, have you found any sort of similarities across the stories? So what I'm finding and what things that I already knew is confirmation in a lot of regards, right, is that religion played a huge part. There are people who talk about their grandmother making them go to church. Like they didn't want to go, but if you're going to be here with grandma for the summer, you know, you're going to church. There's a lot around food. You know, there's certain um, certain things that, you know, macaroni and cheese, collard greens, smothered chicken, again, things that you'll find in the book. But these are things that it was all about community and families coming together and sitting and talking and sharing those stories. And we've lost that. You know, if you talk to families now, you say, oh, well, you know, this one had basketball. This one had swimming lesson. This one, everyone's running. And a lot of times you're just grabbing something, you know, going to the drive up and eating it in the car between practices. You know, we don't often get the opportunity to sit down and actually have a meal and talk about the highs and lows of the day. 
You know, and that's how we learn to not repeat the same mistakes over and over again because you hear what happened before and you don't want that to happen to you, right? And you learn what you need to pass on to the next generation. So those are all reasons why in terms of the podcast, it was really important to me to hear other people's stories. And the funny thing is, you know, I'm kind of used to doing this because I've had the opportunity to do it quite often talking to people about the book. But what I'm finding is people in my family have these amazing stories and they would have never had the opportunity to share or may never. I don't want to make it sound like um, I'm the end all be all because I do. I am <laughs> not right. But they might not have had yeah. the opportunity to share these stories. And it's funny because in the beginning you may get the, you know, hi, my name is Tangela. But by the time we're in, and the episodes are only about 10 or 15 minutes long. So three minutes in, it's like all the gloves are off and we're just talking. You know, they're just telling their stories. But for me, it means a lot to be able to give people the opportunity to know that their stories matter. And how often um, does each episode come out and where could we listen to them? All right. So we're on all of the platforms. There are about 14 episodes right now. I just finished season one and I've already started recording for season two. And congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. There's some reluctance, but it's interesting. Like I said, once people start talking, those stories and things that I just never knew are starting to come out. So I'm looking forward to offering that opportunity to more um, She's Been legacies in the future. As as you've been talking and um, conducting these interviews, do you find that you're kind of keeping a list of uh, possible inspiration for a second book? So I have, <laughs> I have lots of inspiration. Unfortunately, the inspiration has not led to me clearing off my calendar and finding the time <laughs> to actually sit in a quiet spot and put the, I, I still like to write things down, putting the pencil to paper. But mm -hmm. I do have, I have an idea for another children's book that I like to do. And I also have an idea for an adult book that I would like to oh. do. So um, stay tuned because they're coming. They are coming. And kind of going back, you were talking about how with our crazy day-to-day -day lives and the craziness of technology as it impacts us, that people don't often get to just sit around and talk anymore. So when you were creating the activity book, were you thinking about, you know, how children would interact with adults through it? Or was it, you know, how did you approach creating the accompanying activity book? So this is where my years of being a classroom teacher really came to play, right? And so I wanted to have a balance of things that children could do independently and also things that they would need an adult to assist them with. So, you know, one of my favorite parts of the coloring and activity book is a section where children can actually start writing their own stories. Oh, fun. Right. And so my hope is that, you know, at least in the beginning, that they would be able to start that on their own. But as they're reading with a parent or an adult talking about their stories, that they can help them to fill in the gaps and share information that they may not have known. But that was really the motivation behind it. You always, and it's the teacher in me, you know, yes, we read books for fun sometimes, right? But we also want students to do something to help in terms of um, cognitively helping them to remember what it was that they read and to make a self-to-self -self connection. Like, how does what I just read relate to who I am or who I want to be? And so in your books as well, you have the character Pearl and... Uh, this girl called Pearl and a boy named Charles. Could you tell us the inspiration about those characters as well? Absolutely. And their time-traveling adventures. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So 
for those who don't know, the stories are exactly the same. The names of the characters mm-hmm. in the books just change. And so, as I said, my grandmother was Pearlie Kennedy Petway. And so I always said that if I had a child, I would want to name my child after my grandmother, Pearlie. And so that would have been Pearl. And so I have birthed my book baby, Pearl, is the main <laughs> character in the story. And so one of the things that I've learned, I've worked with a woman, her name is Crystal Swain Bates. She's an author of hundreds of books. She's doing some amazing work in terms of helping people get their stories out. And one of the things that she recommended to reach a larger audience is if you have a book with a female character, you can do the same book with a male character. Because believe it or not, there are some people who, you know, oh, well, I have a daughter, you know, um, or in this case, because Pearl came out first, oh, I have a son. Well, a book is a book is a book, right? But the other thing for me is, and which was really the motivation behind it, is that believe it or not, and I know you know this, but I'm saying this for people who don't know it, believe it or not, there are a lot of male quilters out there. And so one of the questions when I read the book across the country to children in classrooms, a male student asked me, do men quilt? And this was when (laughs) Pearl, right? Yeah. This was when Pearl came out. And so I said, okay, I'm on the right track here. I need to do Charles because I want little boys to see that, you know, it's, it, it crosses gender roles. It's not just about Mm -hmm. girls. It's not just, it's all people who have an interest in quilting should be able, should be free to do that without thinking about, oh, well, I'm not supposed to be doing this Mm -hmm. because we're all creative. And I've seen some of the things that have been done by male quilters. They're absolutely amazing. So think about all that talent that would be wasted if we don't encourage anyone who wants to pick that needle up to pick it up. I love that. And so um, with the, the Pearl book and the Charles book, are the illustrations the same across the two or are they different? So the only... Pages where illustrations are different are pages that included characters. Yeah. And so India Shiana, who was the illustrator, did an absolutely amazing job. And how I came across her was I used an indie publisher to help me with publishing the book. It's still considered self-published, but there was someone who helped me do some of the legwork, like finding the editor, finding the illustrator. And so um, it's Pen Legacy, Sharon Monet, and that was how I found India. And so what was interesting is I saw her work and I I liked her work. And so as the author of the book, I was a little torn with how much direction should I give her or should I trust the process, trust her skills and ability as an illustrator and let her do her thing. So what I did was I decided to do just that. I sent her because I knew I wanted to have illustrations of actual quilts that we owned. So with the Jeesman treasures, the antique quilts that we have, I would never ever, 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 ever sell one of my grandmother's quilts. Or we would because they're family quilts at this point, right? Mm -hmm. And so, but I wanted to be able to share them with the world. So I figured that if I got them in my book, I can keep my quilts. You can see them, right? You can enjoy them as well, right? So on the cover of the book, and I know you've seen it, but on the cover of the book is actually a quilt that my grandmother made probably about 60 years ago. Oh, wow. Right. And so how this relates to the illustrator is this. I sent her about six or seven photographs of quilts that we owned, knowing which one I wanted on the cover. (laughs) But (laughs) I bit my tongue and I did not tell her which one I wanted on the cover. So I send them off and 
I finally get a file back with some, but here's the, here are some sample covers. And guess what quilt she picked? The one that I wanted on the cover of the book. And that was, to be. that was when I knew exactly it was meant to be. And it was just almost like, you know how you have that balloon and, you know, you're about to pop. And then all of a sudden the air starts coming out. <laughs> I was able to take a deep breath because I knew then that was my sign that she is, she was the one who was supposed to illustrate this story. And it's funny. So even with the cover, there was just one thing. Initially, Pearl did not have any hair hanging. She had like probably a ponytail and I wanted her to have, um, she had her hair pulled up in a bun. And I said, you know what, let's give her some hair. And that was like the one thing that I questioned. And here's another funny story for you in terms of the illustrator, right? <laughs> so I'm meeting with a group of kids. Like I said, I read the story all over the country. And so a student has a question. So he comes up, this was on Zoom because we were all in quarantine. And he says to me, why is it that Pearl has hair just like yours? <laughs> And so I was able to have a conversation with this student about how it was important to me that the characters in the book looked like people in my family. And so and I and then I was able to comfortably say that there aren't a lot of books about African-American children. And so that was why it looked it looked odd to him because and no fault of his, but it just wasn't part of his experience. Now, if I had not made that suggestion or asked to add that, that that conversation could not have been sparked. And so India, she's absolutely amazing. And with everything in terms of what she did and the colors in the book and kids often ask, did you draw the pictures? And I want to say, yes, that was all mine. That's me. <laughs> but I can't take credit for it. Did you also provide India with like photos of your family and other kind of material for her to draw inspiration from? The only thing I gave her were pictures of things that had been made by my okay. grandmothers. So there's at one point they were making stuffed animals. There were stuffed animals in there. Um, there was actually a quilt that I had asked my aunt to make that wasn't even finished yet. So that's, <laughs> that's in the book. And my brother had asked my aunt, again, Aunt Mary, to make him a quilt that was a beach theme. And so that's the one quilt in the book that's not an antique, but that's also that's so in the cool book. Though. Yes. To capture ongoing history. Exactly. And that's what I want people who are listening to this podcast. That's what I want for the students that I talk to. That's what I want for the parent groups that I talk to as well. And we talk about some of the traditions and the things that they like that now their kids don't like. And it was like that for me growing up. There were certain things that, you know, traditional things that we would do, like collard greens and certain things I just did. But now that I'm older, I have more of an appreciation for them and I'm willing to try them. So, you know, it's just important for parents to help their kids not forget. And when I say to children who may not have the family background, you know, maybe you were adopted. Well, you know what? Your family history starts with you. What are the things that are important to you? Start writing those things down. You mentioned that you, um, you do a lot of readings. Um, are you mainly visiting schools or libraries or bookstores? I've done all of those, I have not. <laughs> the, okay, I have not done a bookstore yet, but I've done schools, I've done libraries, I've also virtually I've done. Uh, there was a quilt museum in Iowa, that was the first oh. one that I did. I've also been able to read to quilt guilds, which was very exciting. Um, there was also, you know, um, there are people who have a lot of Facebook groups. Right, that yes. are for me. So I also <laughs> visited a monthly Facebook group and talked to them. Cool. 
And so I've been able to grow my Instagram followers because of that. You know, I've been able to make connections with people and to see some of the beautiful quilting that they're doing as well. Um, so it's been absolutely amazing. And like I said, uh, recently I met with a summer school group. So there are always opportunities to, you know, they always say, you know, older kids don't want to be read to. Um, that's not true. <laughs> you could hear a pen, you could hear a pin drop. And it's not, again, it's not any credit to me. It's just because people enjoy being read to. It's a different sense that you get when you hear someone else's voice reading a story. You know, because when you read a book, you hear your voice in your head, right? Mm -hmm. But to hear yeah. someone else read a story and the parts that they stop, the questions that they ask, it's it's an experience. And I totally enjoy doing that. Absolutely like enjoy doing that. I feel like it's even more of an experience coming from the author as well, because you get to hear the story from their voice and how, you know, the author wants listeners to actually hear it. I, I agree 100% because there'll be an, an, uh, a poet, for example, will read their poetry. And so then I'll buy the book and I'll just read it out loud. It's totally different. It's a different <laughs> experience to hear the author do it themselves. So I agree 100%. Is there anything that still surprises you when you are doing book readings? I think the surprises come to me when people start asking questions. Because some of the questions are things that I just never even thought of. And so... I'll be honest, there are times when I leave a book reading and I have to go back and do some research because they're asking me something about <laughs> G's Ben that I, I don't know. So the whole process has been a learning experience for me from picking up that needle and learning how to quilt from someone who wasn't from G's Ben all the way through, like you said, reading and interacting with other people. We've been talking quite a bit about your book and the um, accompanying activity book. Where can folks buy the book? Well, if you're interested in purchasing Pearl and her G's Ben quilt, storybook or coloring and activity book, or Charles and his G's Ben quilt, storybook or coloring and activity book, you can find the book. We're available Amazon. We're available Barnes and Noble and some of your other favorite online retailers. Now, before we move on to our rapid fire quilting questions, do you have any fun projects on the horizon that you can share with us? Yes. So I am working on, I want to do another children's book that's really dedicated to my mom because she is a huge part of who I am and why I want to get this story out. So that's one. And then the second project is I want to offer other people the opportunity to tell their stories. And so I'll just leave it at that. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, it is time to move on to our rapid fire quilty questions. Are you ready, Tangela? I'm ready. Let's go. All right. So what is your favorite time of day to write? Anytime I have some a few minutes. I don't have a specific time. And where do you write? I like to write in the middle of my bed. And you mentioned you like to write out. Are you analog or on the computer? I like to write out with a my favorite pen or favorite pencil and just do it. What's your favorite pen? My favorite pen <laughs> is the Paper Mate Inkjoy breast cancer pen. I love it. Do you wear shoes while writing? And if so, do you wear socks or no socks? I know this is a really weird question, but normally we put it as sewing. But. I am the queen of being barefoot. If I could go outside without shoes, I would do it. And I've done it. And I always got yelled at as a child. Even even in the cold winters of Connecticut? No, 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 no. <laughs> Music, Netflix, podcasts, or the sounds of silence? I like silence as I'm getting older. And what is your favorite activity in the Pearl Energies Bend Quilt Coloring and Activity book? I have to say it's the writing piece. 
where children are offered the opportunities to write their own story. So in each of the coloring activity books, that's my favorite. Do you ever get to see, do people ever share the stories that they've written with you? You know, I haven't gotten a story, but I have had people on my Facebook page, G's Been Made, I have had people send pictures of their children actually coloring or doing something oh, in the book. Oh, that's yes. cute. That's so cute. <laughs> it, I have to say that that, that, is, it, that stops me in my tracks every time I get one to actually see someone that. using it. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, what resources do you recommend to learn more about the G's Bend quilters and quilts? What I recommend people do is to do searches and actually connect with people who have the connection that they're actually G's Bend descendants. If there was any one thing that I could say, that would definitely be it. Um, because I think we need to hear more from and offer the opportunity to hear more from people who have actually lived the experience. And listen yeah. to your podcast. <laughs> and listen to my podcast. <laughs> Season two starts in September. Do you have a favorite cheese bend quilter? I have to say, you know, I can't because I have my two grandmothers and then I have my Aunt Mary. And then, you know, even if I'm not related to them, there's a family connection to everyone there. Right. So in terms of the person that I can reach out and touch right now and I can talk to on a daily basis, is my Aunt Mary. I'd have to say that in that regard, she is my favorite. And do you have a favorite traditional quilt block? You know, I don't have a favorite traditional. And I think that's because each one that my aunt does is different. And so every time I look at one, I'll say, oh, that's my favorite. I like that one. And then she'll send me <laughs> something else. I'm like, oh, no, that's my favorite. I like that one. So I, I can't identify one that, that is my favorite. And it, it, it's a challenge at times because someone will say, can I have one? And it's like, I don't want to get give any of them up. <laughs> Understandably. Yes. And uh, what's your favorite color? I would have to say my favorite color is royal blue. I am a member of Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated, and so I have to shout them out because you opened the door. My sorors have been amazing supporters of, of my work, and um, it's one of the best decisions that I've ever made. So royal blue is my color. And what color fabric do you use the most if you're creating a quilt? A lot of different shades of blue. <laughs> <laughs> On brand. Yes. <laughs> and there are just so many different shades of blue. So when you're working with them, and then the fact that... A lot of the work, um, historically, G's been quilts, you'll see that they add in pieces of jean material. So blue jean. Mm -hmm. So I found that, yes, that's a huge um, color for me in terms of how many different shades of blue can you find. When you're, when you're quilting, are you more solids or print fabrics? I would have to say quilting and in real life, I love patterns. I absolutely love patterns. I've always been that way. How do you organize your quilt collection? So I recently moved from a home that, aside from college, and then when I uh, lived up in the Hartford area, so that house probably had about, I'm aging myself here, 40 or 50 years worth of, of stuff, right? And so I'm still in the process of figuring out how I am going to organize all my stuff. So I have not figured that out yet. I've seen, you know, people that hang their quilts from walls. I've seen, I have a quilt rack. Um, so I'm just still trying to figure out the best way to do it. What is your favorite part of the quilting process? <laughs> My favorite part, believe it or not, is working on the binding. 
There's something about feeling like you're almost like all of your hard work is coming to a head. You know, you're almost ready to just bask in the glow of I made this. This is mine. I did it. (laughs) That's the part that I love the most. And what's your least favorite part of the quilting process? There isn't a part of the process that I do not like. I enjoy it all. And do you have a, is there a bad quilting habit you wish you could give up? Yes, not quilting enough. I've gotten in a habit with everything that's going on right now. I've gotten in the habit. It's been a while since I've been able to find the time to make a quilt. And do you have a quilty BFF? I would have to say I, all roads lead to my aunt. When I think about, you know, that generation, she is the one that, again, I have the most access to. Others that I that would have had that role for me are, you know, getting older now and not quilting. Um, they are very near and dear to me, but I would not be able to get the information from them like I can get it from her anymore because of time, which goes back to, you know, there's some urgency with all of this, right? That we want to get the information while our elders can still give it to us. Absolutely. And do you have any um, other interests or hobbies? I like to travel. That's something else I haven't had time to do. And when I say travel, I mean getting on a um, boat, getting on a ship and going somewhere and not having to worry about, you know, you can't do laundry when you're on a cruise, right? Not the laundry that I would do at my house. I mean, if I wanted to do laundry, you just just can't do it, right? The phone's not ringing all the time, you know, because a lot of times you don't have access to Wi-Fi when you're on the... So the whole idea of being somewhere that... I mean, it's warm here, so I, I, I can't even say that that's the... Um, motivation to go away, but just to kind of get away for a little while and kind of turn everything off, I find generally that's when I'm most creative. All right. So we've just got one more question for you. Um, So who are three accounts you think everyone should be following and why? Find someone who's doing what you're doing. It shouldn't be them following three people that I recommend. One of those should be someone who's doing what you're doing, someone who's where you want to go, If you're an author and you want to sell a million books, find an author who sold a million books and follow them. If you're quilting and there's a certain style of quilting that you like and you want to perfect, find that person who has perfected it and follow them. So I really think there has to be some room for what it is your goals are. And those are the people that you follow. I like that. Good advice. So on that note, we need to wrap today up and we hope that you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to contact any of us, we can be most easily found on our Instagram accounts. I'm at Broadcloth Studio. Wendy. I am the dot weekend quilter. Anna, our audio editor extraordinaire, is at Wax and Wayne Studio. And Tangela. I am at G's Bend Made. Or you can go to our podcast account at quilt.buzz or our website, quiltbuzzpodcast.com, for our previous episodes and updates on upcoming guests. If you enjoyed today's show, we hope that you subscribe to the podcast and tell your quilty friends about us too. And if you have a moment to share what you love by writing a review on your podcast provider of choice, it would make our day. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye. 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 Bye.